my friends at Future Primitive. I'm uh, I'm delighted and I'm already having fun because today I'm on the phone with Richard Power. Richard Power is a trusted journalist, an acclaimed author and speaker, an advisor to governments and corporations. He has delivered briefings and led trainings in 40 countries, power rights, and speaks about security, sustainability, and spirituality. He has been quoted in the world news media, including the Wall Street Journal, and interviewed on broadcast media like CNN, PBS, NPR, and BBC. Power's personal blog, Words of Power, is widely respected as a source of commentary on human rights. He also has another blog, which is called Primal Words of Power, Language for an Ancient Future. Richard Power's books are more recently, actually now, Hugh Manifesto, a guide to primal reality in an era of global peril, Between Shadow and Night, the Singularity in Anticipation of Itself, and um, other books which I will not mention because if you don't mind, Richard, I'm going to do something I don't usually do, but I'm going to set up the interview by reading a quote by you. Well, I'd be happy to hear Good. Richard Power says, The political, economic, and religious structures with which we frame our shared reality have caved in on themselves. With our genius and our ignorance, we have created impossibility, and we are fueling it every moment of every day. There is no way out of this impossibility, because what could lead us out is leading deeper into it at every twist and turn. We cannot turn, we cannot change course, we cannot stop sliding backwards, and yet we cannot stop hurtling forward. Our problems have become our solutions. Our solutions have become our problems. This impossibility is our crisis. It has created a singularity. What will come from this singularity? If anything but extinction or near extinction comes from this crisis, it will be because something unforeseen, something unprecedented, something miraculous, something utterly new emerges from this singularity, i.e. from within us. In the midst of our meltdown, after everything has gone full tilt, full tilt, we are the singularity, and we are poised here in anticipation of what will emerge from the unthinkable, imaginable, unimaginable collapse of our collective self. Therefore, we must learn to see in the dark. It's um, 
It's very beautiful, and uh, I would like you to speak to us as human beings, as the singularity. Well, that, uh, the passage that you read uh, came from uh, the book just prior to your manifesto, came from uh, Between Shadow and Night Anticipation, uh, the singularity and anticipation of itself, and um, kind of set up what your manifesto is uh, uh, trying to accomplish, what I'm, what I'm trying to accomplish in, in your manifesto. And, um, you know, we look at something, uh, we look at an issue, for example, like climate change, uh, the climate crisis, which, uh, you know, should be uh, the lead story in every news organization every day for the last uh, Certainly the last five years, uh, uh, I, I would uh, suggest the last ten years, and yet um, uh, in our country, in, in uh, uh, the country that is always uh, calling itself the greatest country in the world, uh, certainly the center of empire, the center of power, center of gravity uh, in the, the early 21st century uh, to this point. Um, we don't, you know, we, we politicians, even if they, even if they accept the indisputable science of climate change, uh, dare not even mention it. Um, I was reading somewhere um, uh, an article by a, a writer on climate change who I respect a lot, and he was uh, giving, uh, he was giving, advancing the argument that the climate change would be a winning. Uh, a winning issue on the campaign trail. Well, of course, it would be if the the point of the exercise was to get votes, because uh, the majority of people understand uh, being uh, being awake, being human, being a part of the world they live in. They understand that something has gone terribly wrong, and they understand that we have to do something about it. We're already behind the curve, and and they understand the the importance of of uh, science and and what science has been trying to tell us for 20 years but uh, the the exercise of course the the campaign quote unquote the exercise isn't about getting get, impressing the voters the exercise is about uh, getting uh, uh, corporate donors to, to write checks to finance the whole uh, the whole thing the whole racket uh, that moves forward. So the greatest national security issue of our time, the greatest global security issue of our time, the greatest economic threat of our time, the greatest human rights issue of our time, the greatest health issue of our time, uh, is largely ignored in the body politic, largely untouched, largely uh, undiscussed, uh, dare not go near in the body politic and the political dialogue of the uh, of the the, the, um, uh, the most powerful uh, country uh, economically and militarily uh, on the face of the earth. That's crazy. It's crazy, and um, it's it's symptomatic of many other things. Another example is the financial, uh, the global financial meltdown that we experienced. 2008-2009, mm -hmm. this was a planetary event of 
profound impact, profound negative impact on all of our lives. And yet there is hardly any accountability for it, hardly any um, real action about how to uh, prevent it and how to meaningfully address what went wrong and to prevent it happening again. Um, and when you have a civilization that time after time has these great uh, profound threats and does not deal with them over, over um, an extended period of time, uh, despite many warnings, many clear warnings and many options about what to do uh, to mitigate that threat, you realize that we have a spiritual crisis, a psychological crisis. We have a societal, a cultural crisis, uh, more than even uh, a, a political crisis. We have uh, a moral crisis, mm -hmm. a spiritual crisis, an existential crisis. Mm -hmm. we, we're not... Uh, uh, we are not acting in our own best interests, either as individuals or as a collective. So that's the, that's the real issue uh, that we're, we're all coming to in our lives. Richard, I'm thinking about the words um, that you put out, occupy yourself. So I want to ask you, and I want to say again, occupy yourself. Um, you had, um, as you say in your writings, you had a horrendous childhood, and so did I. And um, there was, there has been, for me, like you describe, a um, tremendous, well, I feel that, I was skinned, and and then I grew a skin that didn't repel others and the world. And so could you speak about your transformation and how this came about? Well, I, um, I know that in your work you have... Uh, an understanding and uh, a relationship to uh, the shamanic uh, dimension of life. Um, and uh, so do I. And it was interesting um, to me uh, some years ago, I was reading a, kind of a, a, an obscure book about uh, uh, indigenous peoples in Northern California, and um, the uh, ethnologist uh, was writing about, um, it was in there, I don't know if it was in there, or one of Joan Halifax's great books. But anyway, the point is that you, uh, when somebody becomes a shaman, there's several different ways. Uh, when somebody enters into the shamanic path, uh, in some way that's going to be active in, in their lives, where they're going to move energy and be moved by energy uh, in that way, in that realm. Um, you come to it in, in, in different ways. Uh, uh, some tribes, you know, people would be selected because of various uh, uh, gifts that were identified or 
uh, you know, on a tolku-like fashion, uh, they would yeah. be groomed for the role. Uh, maybe there would be other considerations. Uh, there, there, there are different ways that people come to the shamanic path in a societal uh, way, in uh, uh, an integrated, organized way. But also, uh, there are um, ways that you come to this realm to come to operate and be awake in this realm. Uh, seemingly by accident, seemingly by um, happenstance, uh, seemingly uh, randomly, uh, some great event will happen. Uh, uh, usually, a, a great event, uh, a, 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 a great ne- an event of great negative impact, uh, a powerful negative event, something that would uh, destroy somebody else, something that would. Uh, uh, destroy a part of yourself or destroy your life as you know. It might be a, uh, a great illness. It might be uh, some kind of terrible attack. Uh, it might be some kind of uh, uh, tr- trial, hardship, uh, 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 you know, a, a mind-blowing, um, uh, a mind-blowing, in a mind-blowing uh, kind of a, uh, a life-changing way, transformative way, life-shattering way. So when someone has, um, uh, you know, a childhood that is uh, where profound uh, uh, abuse or neglect or uh, uh, cruelty takes place, uh, you know, there are many uh, different things that can happen in in that person's journey. But uh, sometimes what happens is, if you've been uh, attacked by a person or attacked by a bear or attacked uh, by a disease, whatever it is, Mm -hmm. it changes you and sets you on a new trajectory. Uh, And it makes you open to something. Uh, The great Sufi uh, and I Khan said something, you know, the the children of sorrow are the bringers of joy. Mm. And uh, I was always struck when I was a little kid. uh, I used to, I had a little... um, transistor radio, and I used to always uh, listen to the speeches of Dr. Martin Luther King, and I would weep when he mm-hmm. spoke, and you know, I was, I wasn't even an adolescent, I was a little kid, I would weep when he spoke, not out of sorrow, but out of joy of the yeah. beauty, the spiritual beauty that he was manifesting in his uh, sermons. I read his life, an excellent biography of him uh, later in life. Uh, and I, and, and there, what, you know, I realized, to me, Martin Luther King, I mean, civil rights leader, he was a Christian minister, yes, 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 but he was really a shaman. He <laughs> moved energy for a whole society, not just for uh, his race, but for a whole society, a whole culture. He was able to move energy and to articulate meaning and to deliver meaning and to empower through his uh, presence and his voice. So... There it was in his childhood. Uh, he fell off the roof. So it kind of reminds me of that beautiful Rumi poem. You know, he, he fell off the roof and should have died. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it was for him a life-changing uh, experience. I mean, he didn't describe himself as a shaman or anything like that, of course. Right. But to me, that was uh, that, that's that kind of experience. So if you've had this experience, uh, uh, some kind of... Uh, experience that would destroy somebody else or, or perhaps has destroyed who you might have been or or or, or, um, or some part of yourself and you've been uh, forced to live in in a, in a radically different way or in a new way or 
uh, come to them in life through a, an unusual vector, um, it opens possibilities up to you. Does that kind of address your question? Beautifully. Absolutely beautifully. And uh, I will add to that something I read in Chu Manifesto, uh, where, where you say every twist in the plot of life is an invitation to brilliance and courage. So, Richard, uh, I don't want to lose any time here before I ask you uh, this question that uh, I yearn to ask you. you. You speak about love in Hugh Manifesto, so I'd like you to please speak to us about love. in there actually um, maybe I can I can pull it up while we're we're talking where I I talk about um, uh, some of the words that that uh, that we use and and how um, how they kind of have this uh, um, this strange uh, uh, split where in one sense they're the, one of the most one of the most powerful words in another sense, one of the most hackneyed words. And, and, you know, in our language, in our culture, love is kind of like that. But love is really everything. Um, in the sense that, uh, you know, the goddess or Kali or uh, Gaia or um, whatever, whatever you choose to call the divinity, uh, it's not outside of us, of course. And most of us, most of us, most anyone who will ever be listening to your podcast hmm. already know that God or the goddess or the divine isn't outside of ourselves. And we know also that it is not so much uh, a question of being inside of ourselves either, but that it's, it's everything everywhere. And... Um, that, that in, in this sense and in, in this most profound sense of what love or uh, agape or ishk or uh, ananda or prem or uh, whatever you want to call it, whatever name it, you want to give to it, whatever terminology you want to use, this this uh, this this greater love, this divine love. Uh, is uh, is imbued imbu everything. It's it is the divine order itself. Now within that, there are many things that are incomprehensible to us. We can't explain uh, the experience of one dimension uh, with the experience of another. But it is all love, and everything that opens up to us opens up to us from love, and everything that we open up to, uh, we open up to from love within ourselves. It's love that transforms us. It's love that redeems us. It's love that uh, shows us the way. And uh, it's love that, ex that elucidates for us and, and reveals to us. And, and uh, all through that process, all it's revealing, all it's elucidating, all the way that it's showing the person that travels that way, uh, everything. Uh, is is just itself love. So uh, 
impossible uh, to articulate. But and it, it really doesn't do much for the the business of spirituality or the industry <laughs> of metaphysics or anything else, because really that is accessible to every human being as they as they come into incarnation. Every creature as it comes into, into incarnation, different ways. I mean, you know, uh, uh, different the animal kingdom, the human kingdom, the lot mm-hmm. uh, manifests in different ways. But it's there in some way in every life form. It's the first impulse that at the other end of the corridor, as you come into life, there's going to be something uh, that is going to take care of you. If it's a person, wonderful. If it's not a person, it's going to be life itself. The more you open up to life itself, the more you understand it. All it's ever done is take care of you and show you the way. That force, which has no opposite, which has no uh, polarity, that force is love. There's, when we talk about love and hate or uh, love and like or love and unlove or uh, loving and love less, all these things, all these uh, uh, polarities, all these dualities, all these dichotomies, they're not uh, the, the reality. But the, the reality, the divine reality of love has no opposite. It is the nature of the universe itself, and is it accessible to us as our next breath. So no matter how much yoga, no matter how much meditation, no matter how much uh, study, no matter how much psychology, all of these things are powerful powerful systems, powerful mm-hmm. transformative mm-hmm. tools, powerful uh, uh, powerful bodies of technical knowledge. But in reality, in the end, it always comes down to, can I take a gentle, indrawn breath into the heart space, into my chest? Can I take that gentle, indrawn breath and feel love flowing out unconditionally? If I can, uh, the universe responds. Mm. Thank you. That's a beautiful response. And um, I would like to ask you, I like the way you say uh, it's not the 99% and the 1% that are rich money-wise, but it's the 1% that is uh, psychopaths. Uh, the people who are possessed with delusional exceptionalism. So what would you say about those who seem to not be able to access love and generosity and tenderness? Well, it's, um, it's a tragedy. Uh, you know, in, uh, it, it, it's a tragedy. I mean, the the first turning of the wheel, uh, uh, Gautama Buddha said, uh, you know, gave the four noble truths, which are, I, you know, I always say, you know, I, and from my perspective, very ill-framed in most uh, expositions of them and very uh, misunderstood and, and, and uh, internally do a lot of misunderstanding. But the first of the noble truths is something like, in, in life there is suffering. And... Um, the second noble truth is uh, sub to me from the way I describe it is uh, in life there's suffering. Uh, some of this suffering uh, is unavoidable 
and some of it is avoidable. And then uh, there's uh, the, the, some of it is all of, but all of it is mitigatable. So some of it you can't avoid. Everyone's going to become ill. Everyone's eventually everyone's going to die. Everyone's going to uh, have someone they care about uh, uh, get ill or die. Everyone's going to have some disappointment in life, or or, uh, or someone they care about is going to have some great disappointment in life. All of these things are inevitable, but uh, uh, some of it is avoidable. In other words, how we deal with those experiences uh, is to some extent uh, an issue of, of personal choice. And... Um, uh, how what we choose, to, how we choose to respond, and and the lessons we take away from those things are somewhat within our control. So I say that all of it can be mitigated. Uh, and then there's, of course, the path to this mitigation, which in in the simplest of terms is uh, uh, unconditional love and, and simple awareness. Can I have a quiet mind and an open heart? If my uh, heart opens, my mind quiets. If my mind quiets, my heart opens. Love and awareness. Uh, that is the the essence of the uh, of the, the, the spiritual path. But when we see around us those who are have become so uh, lost in greed, so lost in uh, uh, this, you know, you you cannot feel anything but uh, compassion. Doesn't mean you let them. Uh, continue to control the situation. It doesn't mean you allow them to uh, exercise, uh, uh, you know, to, to inflict uh, their their illness, uh, the, the, uh, the, 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 uh, the consequences of their illness on, on the rest of the human race and the rest of the planet. But you have to feel extraordinary compassion for this, this illness, which is what it is. It's a spiritual illness, an existential illness. Yes. Uh, you know what to do about it is a very complex issue, but 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 the attitude always has to be one of this is suffering. I, I you no doubt dealt with people with serious mental problems or serious uh, psychological or emotional problems in in life. And one thing that strikes me uh, very very much so uh, in someone that I had to deal with uh, in in my life is that person. Uh, the, the, the sicker a person is, the less sense of humor they have. <laughs> and uh, and they, I mean, they can laugh at any; they can laugh at something else, but they cannot laugh at themselves. Yeah. And the other thing that I've noticed about that kind of depth of of psychological illness is that they, the concreteness of their being, the illusory, the illusory concreteness of their being. It's so uh, stark, it's so dense, that their being is like a fist, uh, literally inside themselves, whether it's a, a, a corporatist raider or a criminally insane person wreaking their havoc on, on an innocent. The, that person's ego is like a fist. Their self is like a fist, a clenched fist, dense. No, nothing can come in. It's not open. It can't receive anything. Uh, it can grasp at things, but it's fist, fistedness, but it can't really hold anything or receive.
understand that um, we're really dealing not with partisan politics or ideology as much at this point in where we are in, in our uh, scene as we're dealing with the sociopaths. Uh, sociopaths, uh, I think that, that you know, the, there's a, some startling figures about the number of sociopaths. And, and, and if you look at uh, the the, the the characteristics of a of a, of a uh, successful CEO or the and the characteristics of a sociopath it, it gives you uh, a, a lot to ponder yeah yeah let's talk some more about human manifesto and how it came about and what you think and feel that you are saying to us in this text. So, um, I've written now uh, eight books, and mm -hmm. I've written, of those eight, four were published uh, by, you know, were published uh, not by myself, and four were self-published. So, I've had the experience of, of both worlds, and um, I'm really happy uh, to be publishing my own work, and I believe that it is the future, if we have a future, um, as the model of the future for musicians and authors, and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look something more like this, and that's what we're evolving towards. If if cyberspace remains free, if the internet remains free, mm -hmm. uh, this is this is where we're going. So uh, I'm really happy I've been able to get a lot more done and move faster uh, publishing myself. That said, of course, publishing yourself uh, uh, it, it is it has a lot of its own uh, difficulties uh, uh, economically and. Uh, uh, you know, uh, logistically, and uh, I always say, you know, my books are like uh, organic heirloom tomatoes. If you go into Safeway and you buy a, 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 one of these huge, perfect tomatoes without a blemish uh, that looks like it's been painted and you taste it and it has no taste, but if you go into an organic store and you buy an, an uh, organic heirloom tomato, it might have all kinds of pot marks on it, it looks kind of weird. <laughs> They're all different colors, but you, when you open it up and taste it, it's going to taste really, uh, it, it's going to have an incredible taste. So mm -hmm. it, it's kind of like that. I mean, I always, I'm always finding things that, you know, could have done better and uh, all of that because you're, you're doing it all yourself, cottage industry. But anyway, it gives you a lot of power and it gives you a direct, immediate access to um, people. So uh, I'm really happy that way. So it's been I've been able to evolve my thinking over the last uh, uh, three or four books, and um, uh, I, and I think uh, I, I hope to be able to continue in that trajectory. That the idea of you manifesto was really set up in the previous book, Between Shadow and Night, the singularity and anticipation of itself which basically set the stage, that, that passage that you read from the, the beginning of our conversation, that was just saying, you know, not only we, for a long time, many of us have been talking about we're coming to a, a, a moment, we're coming to a crisis mm -hmm. uh, moment. And that, that what we're saying, okay, not only are we coming to a crisis moment, we are here, and, and, and it is us. 
<laughs> like we've met the enemy and it's us. We've met the crisis and it's yeah. us. We've met the singularity and it's us. So what do you do from there? I mean, it's overwhelming. It can be overwhelming. Whether you choose to unplug from the political uh, debate, as many understandably do, or whether, uh, like me, you choose to stay engaged in the political debate, which is maddening in, in many ways to stay engaged and also try to cultivate an attitude of oneness within oneself. But um, what do I do if it's when it seems hopeless? What do I do? Whether or you know, uh, do I act as if there's hope and there's no hope? Uh, do I hope for hope? Uh, how, you know, do I? Uh, uh, do I embrace incremental progress? Do I hold out for you know, radical progress? How am I supposed to be in relation to this singular, in relation to this crisis in which we find ourselves? Well, there's that beautiful quote from Gandhi. You know, you have to be the change that you want to see in the world. Yeah. And and Jesus and Tamo were really saying the same thing, which means what, well, of course, Tara and Kuan Yin and Mary Magdalene and the Madonna were all giving the same message. You have to be that change that you want to see in the world. Well, that can mean many different things, and, and each person will have their own authentic uh, meaning, their own authentic interpretation of what that message uh, of Gandhi is. But I wanted to try to give people uh, and uh, a sense of how to live both engaged in the great struggle on a on a, a political and economic and environmental and cultural uh, in, in all of those dimensions and at the same time to be cultivating their spiritual and psychological uh, uh, evolution and and well-being and and to to give people some tools and some uh, attitudes about how to move from that kind of uh, choice. So um, I wanted to kind of bring it all together and uh, talk about the situation of the world, uh, give, I think, I don't know if it's 10 or 11 uh, principles um, to use in your... Uh, in your dialogues with others and in your uh, activism or and, and however you choose to relate to the, the crisis of the world uh, to give some ideas like uh, those embodied in the De UN Declaration of Human Rights, like those embodied in what will hopefully become the UN Declaration on the Rights of Mother Earth, right. uh, like the concept, uh, you know, the, 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 the profound importance of moving us uh, to green uh, uh, renewable, uh, tech, you know, energy technologies, um, the, the power of the internet, uh, the, and the, the the vital importance of keeping it free and uh, making it accessible to as many human beings uh, on the planet as possible, uh, and as free as possible, both free in terms of cost and free in terms of free in terms of cost to the to the citizen and free in terms of your ability uh, to express yourself and to find out what's going on on the Internet. So some basic principles uh, about how to look at uh, our collective existence and then some 
basic principles, another list of basic principles about how to live in relation to the the the, 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 the divine, how to live in relation uh, to oneness, uh, how to how to how to cultivate uh, your um, uh, your uh, faculties uh, and and understand exactly who and what we are, these miraculous uh, uh, beings that we are. And one of the things that I'm always trying to uh, get across to people about uh, our lives as as uh, spiritual and shamanic creatures is that it's all very immediate to us. It's all very direct to us. You know, how many people go around trying to learn how to meditate in their marvelous techniques, very yeah. powerful and very useful, uh, and, and much can be gained from uh, decades of uh, study. But, but every night, every human being goes to sleep, hopefully for as close to eight hours as they can or more, and we, we lay our head down on the pillow, and unless something's very wrong with us, we can pass. We pass effortlessly from waking into the dreaming state, into the deep sleep state, and back again, and we get all kinds of information, precognitive information from dreams, uh-huh. and we come back from the deep sleep state. Ramana said, you know, that, that deep sleep state is closer to reality than waking consciousness. It's closer to reality, to samadhi, to sahaja samadhi, than our ordinary consciousness is uh, in the waking state, moving from day to day. Of the ordinary mind. So we have breath 21,600 times a day. We breathe. But we're not responsible, thank goodness, for that breath. We don't have to remember to breathe. It's happening. But whenever we allow ourselves to tune into that breath, uh, we, we, can, we can access the sacredness of it, the intimate, the, the embrace of the goddess, which is in that breath. And because every thought, we have thoughts, 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 mm-hmm. thoughts all day. Those thoughts will never stop coming. The point isn't to cut off those thoughts, but the point is to be, to remind yourself to see them as weather, to see them as clouds going through the sky of your consciousness, to see them as a river flowing, to, to experience them as a movie, and, and uh, delight in them and shape them as appropriate and all those things. But to remember during that the current of that river, during the, the movement of those clouds through the sky, during that movie, to remember to dive into the space between each, to, between thoughts. Just every once in a while, dive into the space between two thoughts. It's only a momentary, uh, uh, it's only a momentary experience because new thoughts are always coming, but what you do, you get a sense of, of what we actually are from the beginning and will be beyond the end. So these are things. So to be the change you want to see in the world, to articulate principles, which any one of the 10 or so things that I listed there would change our civilization dramatically. All of them together would take us <laughs> to a new dimension. And any one of the the few practices or few attitudes uh, about one's relationship to oneself uh, spiritually that you choose to use uh, will change your journey, will uh, renew you and will uh, reinforce and reaffirm everything uh, that you already know that is true.
true about you and your journey as a spiritual being, as a as a, 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 a creature of the, the, the shamanic worlds. So, your manifesto, I was going to call it at one point Woo Manifesto, uh-huh. instead of Manifesto, because the importance of, of uh, women uh, in this great change that we have to have uh, is so vital. But I thought, in the end, better you Manifesto, because we, I could just turn it into the pun of you, Y-O-U, Manifesto. You manifest uh, this change we want to see in the world. So that's the idea. That, and one last thing is I'm very proud that it's my shortest book. <laughs> yeah. Because I, 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 you know, that it, 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 I got it under 100 pages. And that makes me very happy. And then uh, I tried to, chose, uh, tried to choose a public domain images, first of all, that would look okay, black and white. Again, one of the constraints of self-publishing but also that would communicate some kind of a timeless, archetypal, uh, almost something that can't be explained in words, but can be explained in, in images sometimes. So uh, there's about 30 or so images strewn throughout the thing, uh, strewn throughout the text that kind of uh, reinforce the message of the text, but also take it to a place that words can't go. And you do, and you do. Thank you. Would you speak to us about both the divine feminine and how you see the um, the emergence of the feminine um, at this time? It's a multi-dimensional question that, that you know requires a multi-dimensional <laughs> answer. Um, the just in terms of um, what we know about societies and economies uh, and um, environmental security and food security and um, the basics of life, the 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 the, the the first a few, um, the first couple or three uh, levels of Maslow's um, pyramid of uh, right. uh, basic human needs, if you will. You know, the, uh, that you can have food, that you can have shelter, that you can have um, uh, some relative health, some relative safety. All these things are profoundly influenced by uh, the role of women in our societies. And this has been identified by the United Nations and by NGOs and by uh, humanitarian uh, organizations throughout the world, that when you lift up women politically, uh, economically, uh, socially, uh, culturally, when you lift them up, when you free them uh, from what the patriarchy has become, uh, they, just by their numbers, just by their presence, just by the way they are wired differently, just by the energy they bring, uh, they improve things. Not only for their uh, direct, uh, not only for their own children, but for uh, their communities and and by by extension, by degree, for the world. So 
this is something that anthropologists know, it's something that human rights activists know, it's something that we can all consciously work on. And in many ways, uh, we see misogyny in this culture, in this political uh, climate. We see misogyny in the Middle East. We see it uh, in most of the patriarchal religions. Um, and, you know, there is a, a, a which, which kind of takes us to, so that, that's practical. That's real, quantifiable, practical, real, demonstrative, um, something that any any uh, uh, person, whether or not they have a spiritual uh, attitude toward life or not, we can all agree on from a humanistic perspective that when you raise up women, you raise up uh, the quality of life for everyone. Um, then on the psychological plane and on the spiritual plane, uh, you know, I've studied the world religions uh, for uh, all, all my life, really. I mean, when I was a little kid, I was you know, reading uh, the neo something that was called in the book I had, the Neoplatonic, uh, the Persian Neoplatonists, which of course turned out to be Rumi and, and, and uh, uh-huh. uh, over time, you know, how and how all those guys... So, and I was reading uh, Lao Tzu uh, when I was a very uh, little kid, and the Ramakrishna and all of these uh, great traditions. But I've studied the religions of the world and the mystical teachings and the wisdom tradition, uh, traditions of the world for you know my lifetime. And but in the West, and uh, well, it's complex. But in the West, there is this split. Uh, at the beginning, I mean, when, when for whatever reasons, when the Abrahamic uh, mm-hmm. uh, faith came out of the desert, and, and then, of course, Abrahamic, by that I mean, you know, the Judeo-Christian Islamic yeah. worldview. And yes, they really do share the same worldview and are iterations, each of the same one. At the core of that, not in the beginning, because Lilith was in the beginning and the Shekinah was in the beginning, but it, but early on there was a sundering, a sundering of heaven and earth, of the divine, the human, of the male and the female, of light and dark. And this split uh, between uh, a world in which God was, in, the, in which God or the divine was both male and female and both imminent and transcendent, into a world in which uh, God was only, the divine was only male, and it was only transcendent. (laughs) That split early on in the desert religions, if you will, that led to a profound pathology in our civilization, Mm -hmm. in Western civilization, that's been mitigated to some extent in different ways by everybody from Michelangelo to Einstein uh, to... uh, Jane Goodall and Amelia Earhart and, you know, the Beatles and, you know, yeah. you know every, any, just about any, any artist or great thinker or a great poet or great musician, all, all, all a great uh, a spiritual teachers, the Tele Jardin, St. Francis, uh, Francis and Claire, all it's been mitigated in many different ways in many different times, but there is in the cosmology of the West this fundamental split. Uh, and and a, a pathology that's evolved out of that. That the end result of that pathology, you have the people uh, who who uh, with the misogyny and the homophobia that we see in the Middle East and we see in in red state America. So that's psychological. 
And and now there's also patriarchy. East, I mean, Buddhism evolved into a patriarchy. Uh, and, and uh, of course, uh, Hinduism, although it, it has uh, intact the pantheons of male and female gods and goddesses, the male and female energies, and, and there's... Uh, we don't, it's not even Hinduism, of course. Hinduism is what the English called it because they were the people that lived by the river. It's the Sanatanatharma, Buddha Dharma, Sanatanatharma. They, they have evolved patriarchal uh, uh, ways, patriarchal traditions. And uh, But, you know, I, I went back through the teachings, and there, there are as many great women saints in, in the Buddha Dharma and the Sanatanatharma and the Christianity, and it's... Uh, uh, Sufism and then uh, uh, there, there are great there are as many great women saints in all of those traditions. They just don't make it into the history books. Why? Because the history books were written by male monks uh, within patriarchies, East and West. So uh, a lot was lost along the way. And then within each person, just like you know, you have the yin and the yang, the mm-hmm. the light and the dark, and in the center of the light is a little dot of the dark, and in the center of the dark is a little dash of the light. Uh, we are both, as that powerful image of Shiva Shakti, where it's half Shakti and half Shiva. Uh, each of us has both within ourselves. That, uh, that's expressed in different people's lives in different ways, but you can't really know what you are as a man until you find the divine feminine within yourself, and you can vice versa. And, 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 and then beyond that, all of us desperately need to uh, establish, to uh, exalt, to reaffirm this relationship with the divine feminine because uh, our, our world is crying out for it. Now, there was a matriarchy before there was a patriarchy, and it too devolved into, uh, uh, you know, uh, ignorance. That's, you know, the nature of, uh, of gravity uh, in a certain sense in human affairs. All of that's true on a historical level. And what we're really moving towards is not a, a restoration of the matriarchy, but a, a new world in which uh, we, we have that, uh, uh, each of us is that, that, that beautiful image of Shiva Shakti where it's one being, mm-hmm. one half female, one half male, uh, again, expressed in different ways. When I, it, 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 it is the yang on one side of that circle, on one side of that wave, and it is the yin on the other side of that wave. There's just a dash of each and the other uh, to make it spin. So, but one of our primary, uh, one of the primary uh, issues and and and, and uh, goals that we we have to have uh, individually and collectively is to raise up this divine feminine uh, in our cultures. East and West, and let it do it. Let it work its magic on our on ourselves and on our worlds to help uh, bind it, to help uh, you know uh, uh, fix the the tear in the basket, fix mm-hmm. the tear in the web of life, uh, to restore that balance. Uh, we have to uh, lean, 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 lean forward into the, the divine feminine. Restoring the tear in the basket. So leaking through. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. 
So uh, we've come to the place in the spiral where we will stop for today, Richard. Um, but I, I, I see that I would love to invite you to Future Primitive again so that we can talk about Burning Man and security and safety and other subjects. Um, I will ask you for now to um, say what you would like to say to us listeners in closing. Thank you so much, Richard. Thank you.